Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. I am your host, Doug Winters. My guest today is Jen Stone, co-owner of Stone Kelly Events. I love this conversation so much that I turned it into a two-parter. This one is episode 96, and later this week, I'm going to drop episode 97, which is brilliant. Jen is amazing. She's hilarious, incredibly knowledgeable, and officially named one of Harper's Bazaar Magazine's top wedding and event designers in the world. So without further ado, please enjoy part one of the amazing Jen Stone. I think we were starting out around the same time. Yeah, you and I met at, I think, my second wedding I ever did. Um, that's how we met. Really? Yeah. And we weren't even really doing a lot of weddings in the beginning. We had some neighborhood people that, you know, passed by a lot and say, you know, do you do weddings? But really, we were a beautiful flower shop on Columbus, cash and carry, buckets and bunches and things like that. A lot of visitors, a lot of regulars. Uh, we had a beautiful neighborhood existence there. A flower shop. Yep. It was, it was, it was a, a beautiful shop. flower shop. And okay. we were there about four years. And we had started to do weddings and bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. And what happened was we would end up having 80% of the product that we had, because it wasn't a huge place, um, sold. And it started to become a problem, you know, because people would see beautiful buckets of beautiful peonies or buckets of roses. And, oh, those are spoken for. Those are spoken for. And at the same time, Starbucks was paying more for the rent. So <laughs> you know, it was kind of a, a kind of a perfect storm. Um, and we ended I think up, that's a story. I think that's probably the, the it's a New York story. I mean, it's not a tragedy, but it was a tragedy for it was a tragedy for neighborhood people. They they threw us a beautiful going away party. And, um, you know, when it reminds me of the shop around the corner. Town. Yeah. I lived around the corner on 75th street and it was on, uh, the shop was on 75th and Columbus and I lived on 75th and I was pregnant that I had my baby and she was a little preemie and she used to kind of hang on a nail, you know, in the, <laughs> in my, my dog and then the dog and the baby in the playpen, you know, it was, it was a whole, it was a whole, you know, world of, of stuff evolving. And, um, but we evolved and we became more of a, you know, an event company. What was your very beginning? Like, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? What'd you study? I studied painting, University of New Hampshire, which I loved. And I studied commercial art at the Academy of Art in San Francisco, you know, in hopes to get a advertising job or a graphic design job or something. And that just didn't pan out. Right. So I was painting birds on a debutante ball gazebo in Houston, Texas. Uh, All of it was not happy. Because that's (laughs) where the work was. Yeah. Well, no, my husband, uh, my boyfriend at the time was, you know, had a better job than me. So he was down there and I, um, wait, hold on a second. If if I can ask who is Kelly? Kelly was my original partner, Donald Kelly. Okay. And I met Donald Kelly while living in Houston after I had painted birds on a gazebo, the woman having the event was doing all the flowers and all the floral people looked like they were having the best time. I said, let me help out. Let me just join this kind of clan. I was looking to meet other creative people and I was a little bit lonely, to be honest. So she hired me as a freelancer and I ended up working full time and was exposed to these unbelievable events, Houston style. Mm-hmm. And I became a florist and event designer under her down there for a couple of years. And I met my partner when I came up to do sort of a, a freelance job in New York for the U.S. Open under, it was really under Rennie. 
he said to me, oh, if you ever come back to New York, let me know. Who's Rennie? Okay. So Rennie, I think he's sort of the father of the event industry as far as decor goes. Um, Robert Isabel even worked for Rennie. Um, oh, wow. Yep. And I was going to say Robert Isabel. And then well, Robert Isabel took it to a whole nother level. I'll say that. Rennie was a great and gifted speaker at a lot of places um, on the art of the party. I think that was even the name of his book. He developed the sense that the decor was as important, if not more important than anything at the party. It set the tone, it set this feeling. And he was sort of my first New York boss. I moved back to New York, met my partner, Don Kelly. I met my original partner, Don Kelly, working at the US Open as a freelancer. Both of us really sort of hit it off. And how'd you get that gig? So in Houston, my boss had hired a couple of people from New York to help us with some huge events. And one of them was a woman named Dorothy. She owns, I think it's Columbine Flowers. She's fabulous. And she basically hired me as a freelancer. And I came to New York and I said, I'll just do it for free. I got to get out of Texas for a couple of weeks. And <laughs> I didn't do it for free, but it, you know, I was so yeah. more than happy to come and bunk on people's couches. And that's when I met my original partner, Don Kelly. Okay. And when I moved back to New York, I called Don Kelly and I said, how do I get into this business? How do I become a freelancer for a bunch of people? And he hooked me up with a few names and one led to another, led to another. And I mainly freelanced at that time for Robert Isabel. And he was what I consider, I guess, a genius, you know, in the field. There's so many people that I've had on the podcast have mentioned him. Like you were saying, you crossed with David Bean. Well, more. David and I didn't work at the same time as far as I remember, but um, we definitely both worked for him. And so many wonderful people, lighting designers, um, architectural, interior architects worked there. I mean, it showed me that it, the flowers were, yes, an important part, but it was the first time I saw that all the elements of an event make it fabulous or at least all the design elements and um, linens, fabrics, printed wall panels, uh, tablecloths, even the, what we tie the napkin with, what color the votives are. I mean, I've seen him come into a room at the last minute and look and say, no, 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 everything out, you know, bring in the other shade of blue. And it's like, oh yeah. And, and it would be a last minute and everybody running around and swearing and like, How they, we were about to go home, you know, and sure enough, it was the right call, you know? So, and then after that, I, continued to work for him, even though I had my own retail shop because it was a beauty little gem of a shop and, you know, pretty windows and Don was just a spectacular window designer. And we started doing weddings about a year and a half into the business. And by the end, like I was saying, almost everything we were buying was pre-sold for an event and we were pulling ourselves in different directions and we were doing accounts and we had to leave the space anyways. And when we moved to a warehouse, we were strictly events and we were scared, you know, nobody, we were in a parking lot in a brick warehouse down the hill. And I remember um, Harriet Rose Katz coming down for a meeting and saying, darling, this is funky, but don't expect to see me here again. <laughs> it was like, it was enough to walk in and down the parking lot past all their trucks. And, you know, it was pretty raw. What was it? It was where the Trump uh, buildings, the, well, I don't even know if they're owned by Trump anymore, but those new sort of Trump city on 60 third to 59th that area west side or on fifth avenue near heschel school on the west side okay. on the river yeah we threw some great parties there put up a tent in the parking lot had a christmas event a couple of years it was, it was oh great. nice a good spot wait can i stop you for one second sure. how did you go from being a flower shop owner mm -hmm. taking great pride in it fabulous location great creative partner don kelly mm -hmm. to doing a first wedding Let's say someone says I'm having a hundred and do you remember how big that first wedding was? And how do you scale yeah. up from saying 
here's a bouquet, here's, you know, <laughs> happy, happy anniversary. I'll mm -hmm. send this over to so-and-so. How do you go from that to saying, okay, I know how to set up an entire wedding? You know, I, I remember it actually, I remember it well. Well, there were two people that were very influential in the beginning of our event career. One was a woman named Tinkerbow from Mood Food. Uh, it's no longer in existence now. I remember she, that. I remember that name. She worked so hard and she had great ideas and she was like all over the place. And I went this, I went, I did, you know, and she was moving faster than the speed of light. And she came and said, I need, I love this place. I walk by it all the time. I need X amount of centerpieces and I need this, that. And the other oh, thing. she's she literally walked past because. You literally walk past. For anybody not familiar with Manhattan, Columbus between 74th and 75th is like amazing real estate. Yeah. It's it, always it, been. It, yeah, it's always been. It's been through a few different renditions, but it was a lot of mom and pop stores at one point on that mm -hmm. strip. It was it was fun. It was a nice little community. So she would pass it and say, I she need She passed it. it. And not even because she lived there. She lived in the village, but she had gone to meetings at the museum. And she said, I just am intrigued by this. And she she came in. The other person was Marcy Bloom of Marcy mm -hmm. Bloom Events and um, also a legend. And she was friends with Tinker back then and just said, you know, yes, let's give these people a chance. We had a huge wedding at the Puck Building down in, in Soho. I used to be there all the time. Yeah, it was a great space. With both Marcy and Ronnie Davis, yeah. Laurie, Laurie Moser, going back yeah, to Tink yeah, Tinker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We probably worked together a hundred times. Um, no, we probably did. Because I'm always out the door right before you're coming in the door. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But, um, you know, we, Marcy took a leap, actually, I will say, and over and over again has taken a leap with us. And that's really wonderful. So we'll go back to that very first gig. Yeah. Now they have terms like scaling up and, you know, right. pivoting and all that stuff. How do you literally go from really confident in this fabulous store that you have? You know, every flower there, you know when they're perfect. How do you go from flower arrangements for one person at a time to an 150 person wedding? I've worked for, uh, I, th I think I freelanced for about 11 different people in New York. Oh, so okay. I've worked in the business and not including the weddings I did in Houston, which were a little different in scale and you know the way they invite like 600 people, but it's mostly cocktails and stuff. But, oh, but really? in New York, I worked for, uh, I guess about a year and a half for a bunch of people. And then it became Robert, you know, more than anybody else. So I did see different scales of events. I did work for a smaller business, a medium business uh, size wise. So I knew how to build a hoopah and how to order an aisle runner and what arrangements would flank you at the back of the aisle where the money shot was, you know, and I knew color because I was a painter. That's the one thing I had down. Like I knew textures and fabrics and I, I had seen the room coming together as an artist, as an artist, and as a as a florist, and as a freelancer, and you know, worker bee, all the different parts of the event that I worked on before I owned my own business. Okay, so are, you had okay, so I had some experience, but for it, it still didn't take away the fact that I was terrified to do it. My first, you know, my first one that I was responsible for, yeah. and accountable to both the caterer to the party planner. I remember. I mean, I don't sleep well as it is, but I was up for days. You know, oh my god, and. Um, in fact, I remember a corporate event that we did about two months after our first wedding that we probably shouldn't have been given, you know, this early on in our business at right. the at the Met. And it was about 75 tables and it was a huge reinsurance. And by the company. way, any party at the Met. Oh, yeah. I mean, is... it's it, that year, it was like 1990, 
97, either 96 or 97, we called the rest of our business. It was BD before Dendor and AD after Dendor <laughs> because there was so much to learn about one thing. But there's things that I learned from that day that I can't believe I survived. And, you know, uh, for years, I couldn't even drive on 85th Street in a taxi and look at the Met because it made me so anxious. Oh, that's so, so funny. You know, this, this building, uh, I mean, this business has a lot of deadlines and a lot of anxiety and um, a lot of beauty. You know, you're looking at beautiful things, but a lot yeah. of you know, you're, you're pleasing everybody. Else. So, you know, having a flower shop, you hope to sell all your product and not throw it in the garbage. And it's unpredictable when it's going to happen. And there's those anxieties. But when you're dealing with events and people's really, really special day, no matter what it is, you know, birthday, bat mitzvah, wedding, it's really big, you know, it's a big, it's a big nut to, to chew on and, and be responsible for. So no matter how big an event it is, it's big to everybody, you know, so it's, it's memorable in my head. <laughs> okay. So you had classical training as an artist, mm-hmm. as a painter, yes. um, and you had training from the very best in the business all the people we were just talking about, uh, all the legends. So when Tinker or Marcy came by and said, okay, let's give this girl a shot because they loved your shop and said, she's going to be great. Did they just see something in you that they... That they- well, um, Marcy was introduced to me by Tinker, but Tinker, I don't know um, to this day because she wasn't really an open book. I couldn't tell you what it was that made her just stop. I know she walked a hundred miles an hour and then she... She halted and you know, I think it was the window, literally. You know, sometimes when you pass a shop, you say, oh, I know I want to go in there. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. there's not a lot of stores that don't look like all the other stores uh, these days, now more than ever, but even then. And I think there was just, uh, she was, you know, people even now, I think are always looking for the next thing. And I think that yeah. it looked like something a little bit different. We had some quirky, weird props um, in the window. Don always had a funny sense of humor. And um I don't really know what it was that made her stop, but, but anyways, those original events were really flower-based about ordering the flowers with the right colors and maybe a little bit delving into the tablecloths, but no, that was really handled by her. So even though I consulted on it, I, I was a florist really in the beginning. Right. Okay. And now I would consider flowers to be a piece of the puzzle or a piece of the overall pie but not the major player. It's the icing in a way, because it's what people see first. Even if they see the whole room, they're looking at the centerpiece or they're looking at the tones and textures of the flowers. But those things work only if the whole is working together. Like the lighting on the flowers is good and the walls don't give off some kind of creepy kind of hospital vibe and the floor <laughs> doesn't say I'm in, you know, a restaurant in another part of the world and this wedding is happening and you know what I mean? Like, and then even now, you know, let's say I'm at a table and I don't want to be at my table all night. Like, what do I do? Oh, I get up and I go to the bar area and we've created little vignettes and lounges near the bar and the bar is very appealing. It has like a facade. It looks like a cool piece of furniture. It's not just a cloth. It's boxed with like some trash cans wrapped in other fabric. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah, okay. whole, the whole yeah. vibe, like the word vibe is, I'm, I'm sure it's been around forever, but I feel like it's become a thing, you know, yeah. what are we, what, what vibe are we creating? Are these people hoping to go to like a, a rustic barn, give a Hudson Valley upstate feel, even if we're in a tented backyard, Long Island, let's say, or are they 
creating a ballroom, which we once did in Nantucket on the on the beach. One woman felt like she needed, she was missing having the pier, and her daughter really wanted it on the beach, and so we married the two. Um, not always my idea or ideal, but you know, trying to make the person who's having the wedding comes through first. You know that right. Wedding, of course, we talked about. Um, I really think if someone walks in and goes, "Oh my God, this is so Stephanie and Jay, or whoever you know, whoever they are." Yeah. And then, oh did, oh, did Stone Kelly do this? Like successfully, we make the bride and groom come through or the bar mitzvah family come through. You know, that's the true, not like, oh yeah, Stone Kelly must've done this because it's like an explosion of orchids or, you know, ex- yeah, you know, like, I don't know, um, anything that we would have done. It's a balance between leaving our mark, but not stamping our mark so much, you know. That's, that's a good metaphor. That wouldn't be a metaphor, would it be? Analogy? Analogy, analogy. <laughs> okay, so here's what I wanted to talk to you about. When I go on your website, the very first thing it says is that you're listed in the top 200 wedding designers in the world um, yeah. in Harper's Bazaar. Right. And the thing that fascinated me was that two other people that I've had on the podcast, Preston Bailey and David Beam, and now you, were all in like the first dozen or so. And the thing that you have in common more than anything else is that you were all florists. You all started out in flowers. Mm-hmm. So how does that translate to designer? And I've talked to enough people that I now understand the difference between a party planner and a designer. The party planner usually says that they're in charge of logistics and the designer is in charge of the aesthetic? Well, I mean, yes, that would be a one word answer, but you know, there are a lot of crossover people. There are people that are designers that do planning and there are planners that have their hand in the design. And I think that those planners like to have a, a look or a brand, you know, so they might work with two or three designers a lot because they want to develop that brand. Mm-hmm. But, and I think we were lucky when someone coined the phrase or the term event designer, because I've only heard it in the last couple of years, but if you're an event designer, you work very closely with the planner because, well, first of all, you want to know what's happening at this thing. You know, what are we doing? Um, Is this, are we raising money? Because that does affect. Okay. So the designer is always hired by the planner, correct? Not always. Uh, Sometimes the designer has the client and brings on the planner. Okay. But for the most part in in our world, a lot of our, our events come from planners. And then a lot of ours come from, repeat clients, people that already know us um, and don't necessarily use the same planner or they use the same planner, but they're doing other, you know, they either want to do different things in some way and they want to hang on to us or they have the same planner and they use different designers. But I think that the way it works for us so successfully is that the planner has a whole background already, whether it even be a week or two, but they know what the client really is thinking. And if it's a social event, what the feeling of that event is hopefully, you know, COVID has thrown a couple of tailspins into it, but just a couple a dream, you know, just a few, but what the dream of that bride and groom are, but usually the bride uh, or brides and brides, grooms and grooms, you know, whatever the, the mm-hmm. needs of the couple are, the venue, they might know already, they might not. And then the flow of events. So once you know all these things and also food, comes into it, you know, is it going to be a very casual, more family style thing? Is it going to be a very formal dinner? So all this stuff is sort of little uh, chicken and egg kind of tidbits that need to be discussed before we come up with the design. 
because we don't want to design this like black tie formal bar mitzvah that is going to have a family style picnic table. You know what I mean? Like a, one has to talk. Speak yeah, obviously you have, you, have to, you have to know what you're working with first. Right. So once you, once you know the venue and what the client has in mind and a few buzzwords. And nowadays we have the benefit. It used to not be a benefit in my mind, but I think it's a very big benefit. The Pinterest thing. Sadly, right. you end up seeing the same like 40, 50 pictures, but it does help <laughs> the language because not everybody knows, like we've been doing this for years and sometimes we don't even know the name of exact name of flowers, but not everybody knows. Oh, I really love delphinium and cornflower and hydrangea. Oh, yeah. I know there's gotta be so, so many like, to be a wait, Latin wait, expert. Yeah. Right, exactly. And and also they may not know that those don't have anything to do with September. Uh, they love June flowers and sorry, you're going to be out of luck. We can't have cherry blossom at that time. So there's a whole <laughs> reality shake that comes into it once they make these Pinterest boards. But it is a good jumping off conversation to have it with people for the overall design. Right. And then I explained to them, well, it's all great. You know, it's all wonderful to have deep reds and blues and purples and jewel tones and uh, they're beautiful in October and you're right on target with the season. But if we're in a room that's this dark, we need to have a great lighting designer or at least someone that can highlight the beauty of these flowers or else you might as well just put, you know, your dad's hat in the middle of the table and come up <laughs> with service. Um, and you know, then they say, oh, but, that, you know, we've already spent the budget on that. And I said, so it's up to us to say, well, and on top of that, you can't put them on this white restaurant linen that only kind of fits the top of the table. We need to cover the legs. So the restaurant uh-huh. make it a little bit more formal and it can't be white because the white against the deep red is going to feel like Christmas or Valentine's day. And, and also it's going to be <laughs> such a contrast in the, I love this. Well, you know, it's funny because if we had a, a photographer next to me, you know, like another piece of the puzzle next to me, he'd say, you know, the contrast between the two, and then you have, you know, the concept of photography and digital camera yeah. with LED lights. So Ooh. it matters to you what it looks like later instead of what it just looks like in your mind, which some people are more about capturing the feeling and they don't really care, but those colors will prevail. Like you may spend hours picking the bridesmaid dresses and the, and the making the bouquets match. And it's not, and you walk into a room and it's lit by led man, it changes everything, you know, because yeah. two colors on the color wheel turn to mud, you know, D- DJ lighting. Yeah, exactly. So, and then I say, well, once we've got the first look and we've got these beautiful photos and we had the lighting the way we wanted it, now we really need it to be fun. All right, now describe first look, because I've heard that used a bunch of times. Exactly. Well, first look, yes, there's the first look of the bride and groom and that's a big deal and everybody capturing that and that's one thing. But first look of what I consider the most important first look is when everybody, bride included, comes in and looks at the room. What do they see? They see no one's there yet. The guests aren't there. The guests are now even. Oh, you mean the day of the event? The The day day of the the event. Okay. All right. I'm talking about we've left the ceremony even ceremony and we're walking into the ballroom or we're walking into the main tent or we're going into the field, whatever it is where the Mm -hmm. main event is happening. What are the elements that matter on the tabletop? It's is there a charger? Is there a linen? Is it a wood table? Is there candles? Are they enclosed so they can stay lit? Are they lanterns? Are they LED or faux because it's a museum? Are the flowers in little vessels that are individual and more modern? Or are they 
eclectic? Are they etched glass and silver? Are they? Wait, back up for one second, because when you said if it's a museum, you said LED because it might be a museum. Because museums, that's why when you said something about you know AD and right. BD, museums have very strict rules. Yes, they're much more strict now than they were twenty five years ago. Yeah. I'm not sure why they weren't always that strict because it's priceless stuff. But now, not only museums, it's interesting. A tent in Greenwich has as strict rules sometimes as a museum. And oh, really? Or anything, but okay. yeah. As far as flame retardant fabric and flame retardant oh, sure. yeah. tablecloth, candles. You know, everybody wants to be safe, which is good. It's a good thing. Yeah. But um, <laughs> safe is a good museums. Thing. You know. We want everybody and everything also to be safe. There's, you know, insurance and you take out riders, you sign NDAs, you know, all these, all these things. So there's all the stuff that planners also help with, but it's a background to making an event produce seamlessly and, you know, nobody's suffering in any way. Back to the first look, it's like if you walked in and you're blindfolded and then you were all of a sudden in the room, you were standing in the room. So, mm. you know, you're even in the entryway looking at the overall room and then they took the blindfold off like what's the aha feeling like there's the overall and then as you walk closer and you get towards where like your guests or your best friends or your relatives would sit what are they seeing you know they might see different things on different sides of the table the centerpiece is not all the same is the room filled with things that are a little bit different do you have like some high and low centerpieces and you have range of colors and the linens maybe or is it all one you know it, there's so many different elements that make up the overall moment when you're taking it all in and then there's so many details as you get closer so it's like peeling back the layers mm -hmm. i think is a very fun and successful part of the designer's job so when a person hires a planner and the planner hires a designer the two of you work hand in hand and with the client is it understood that you're also going to be bringing in a lighting person to highlight the flowers that you bring in? Unless, I mean, there was, when do you tell the client, oh, by the way, we need this. We're also going to need. I say it right away, like the first oh. meet. Oh, great. And, and I assume that the party planner has, before they even meet me, we're going to meet the designer. They'll talk to you about lighting. Um, okay. okay. Or they'll say to me, we're doing it at XYZ and they have these three lighting designers on, you know, necessary staff, or sometimes that's like an in-house thing, or we're using this entertainment company and they will be doing some of the lighting. In which case I would say, great, whoever it is, I will give a bullet point list of all the decor items that I need to be lit and how I like them lit in a dream world. And if it all works out in everybody's budget, this is what we're happy with. So I work with certain people really well and say, you know, you know, my what's important to me, um, what colors I'd hate and, you know, what. What colors do you hate? I hate uh, LED pink and purple and blue light. <laughs> LED and, anything. And green. And no, um, yeah, I, I hate things to look like they're lit specifically, unless we're in like a theatrical setting and it's like a down light, like a, a cone of light or, or mm. you know, unless we're really going for that look, which is pretty rare and, and more of a stage set party like a bar mitzvah might be like that or a 50th birthday with a theme or something if it's flowers that are being lit i like them to feel like they're just lit from within you know like they're almost glowing in and where do they get lit underneath from the top sometimes it's two sides sometimes it's up and straight down depends on how far away the light would be 
Um, and but that's what I mean. Do you have to tell me about your relationship to the lighting designer in a perfect world? Well, it's like, well, usually a lot of times I know the venues of most New York. Yeah. And if not, I would go and see a place before I would ever write the proposal. So if it's a home or a tent, uh, I would ask to see the specs of the tent, how many poles, how high are the sides, how wide it, you know, how wide are the angles, where are we going to put the tables in relation to how far the beams have to go, how close are they going to be in people's eyes, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And if it's a landmark building, which a lot of them are like the Cooper Hewitt or Plaza, even uh, we know that they have in-house people that have sometimes already wired in, you know, like the St. Regis has a landmark roof, you know, Plaza for sure, Gotham one of the banks that's a beautiful venue. Again, there's less control in places that are landmark, but there's still, uh, I, you know. Well, cause a lot of those places, like I, I was talking to Alan Kurtz of Gotham Hall and, and um, Ziegfeld, and he was saying he's 70 foot ceilings. Yes. So they are amazing in that they, in the Gotham, let's say they built, I remember the first year we saw it, a, a giant like uh, ellipse, like a, a huge oval mm-hmm. that the truss that lowers so it can be almost to the ground. And we've used that truss and we work in conjunction down to the scheduling of like, who's touching the truss at what time, what time will the truss go up so we can finish our tall arrangements? Can we hang this amount from the truss? Do you need our weight for the big balls of peonies we're going to hang from the truss? Just technically, what is a truss? A truss is a, a like an erector set. You remember when you were a little kid? Yeah. Remember director sets like it looks like the Eiffel Tower is made of trusts. <laughs> oh, you know, okay. Okay. The Eiffel Tower into a small. It's it's metal. It's heavy. It's it holds a lot. It stands. Well, the the oval truss hangs. Right. It's suspended. I don't even know how they do it. I, that that to me is like a feat of engineering that I don't get. But I was excited yeah. when it happened. <laughs> you know, when you look at the ceiling, you're like, what are we going to light in here? Like, what the purpose of a truss is? Well, because you would have to have in an oval room like that, around, really around space, you'd have to have poles, light poles at all these different spots. And a pole to be safe has to have a giant base with a lot of heavy sandbags and, you know, so it's safe, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd have poles, then on it, you'd have cans and then you'd have cords and the cords would wrap around and be taped and be safe. So safety, 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 and right. ugly, ugly, ugly. And I was just going to say, where does beauty, where does beauty <laughs> right. come into this? Right. Well, you know, I have to say like the trust itself, you know, you know, it's there, you know, when you know something is there so much, you forget to look at it. Yeah. So it's this big thing. And when you first see it, you're like, oh my God, look at that thing. It's got like a gazillion lights on it. And these guys know how to use with a little, like, it's almost like a drone. Like I turn this one on, I turn this one on, I turn this up. <laughs> All right. And it's like, yes, no, yes, no. Too pink, too light, too amber. Okay, great. Can you make it lighter? Can you, can you make it darker, darker? Can you turn those off now? Can we switch it? Can we switch everything for this performance? We only want this on. And then can we switch it back and have for dessert? We want it all in blue, you know? So it's like, Okay, you know. Now, when does all this happen, though? I mean, because all well, this has to be choreographed, right? Sometimes we try it out ahead of time, or we just make sure we're on the same page ahead of time. Sometimes okay. we try it out that morning. They have to focus it. So once whatever you make, big giant arrangements of branches. That's know, where I was starting. It's like, focus. like where does like let's say you have this beautiful centerpiece or multiple centerpieces, and you want give me a gorgeous flower. What's your favorite? Well, let's say you have beautiful cherry blossom branches right? okay. in Gotham Hall. 
Okay. They're gorgeous, but the light diffuses as it gets darker, right? There's no more, there's no, you're inside a, a vault, you know, a big bank. Right. So you, uh, you need to pin spot it, but not just from, because it's so far and high, even with the truss being high, it has to come from two sides, sometimes four sides, you know, depending on, and because it's not coming from 13 feet and across the room, it's not in people's eyes this way. It comes from up here. And unless you're really up and staring at it, you won't be blinded by it. I'd say, oh, can we have a little more light on this one? How about from this side? You know, and it, we mm -hmm. know ahead of time because it's a cost issue because it's more labor to have people focus on this side, focus from this side. So, you know, we like to be honest and upfront with everyone and say, you know what, you need at least two pin spots, maybe three on this kind of arrangement in this kind of venue. If we're in a tent with 10 foot ceilings, you know, you might need less. Might it's need easier less. to explain. Yeah. And also you only have, you're limited to, they go on the perimeter or they go on the cross beams or they go, they're hanging mm -hmm. from a pole that will go from uh, track to track. And so, you know, you're going to be shooting it a little bit closer to the thing and you need less, less pin spots probably. Um, but it's, you know, this, the new wave of doing like rectangular tables, for example, it's not necessarily always one thing in the middle of the table that needs to be lit. It's like a slight, almost like delicate wash going down the table. And you don't want it to be so defined that you see the outline of it. You know, you want it to be diffused, but you don't want it to be so much light covering the whole table because then you're taking away from the overall atmosphere. Now, how do you explain this to a client and say, this is, it's going to cost this much I mean, because. I just, yeah, I'm a little wordy. So I usually. No, 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 no. I, you know why? Because we all listen. We all work for people. Mm -hmm. I think if there's one common denominator, I'd say we all work for very busy people right. that want the best job done by the best people. And they don't have a lot of time to spend on it. And it's always been my experience that no one feels ripped off if, if they, if you can just, I mean, everything. I, I think it's hard to justify why a peony that you think is in season mm -hmm is let's say $14 mm -hmm. a stem, right? You can go to the grocery store and get three for $10. Oh, I right? see. Okay. Sometimes. Yeah. Why am I paying this for my wedding centerpiece? You know what? Okay. So I think the, the whole process of flowers is this in New York city, Mm -hmm. nothing is growing on the sidewalk that we're cutting, right? This is not <laughs> the season means it doesn't mean much. It means a little bit. And that means somewhere in New Jersey and greenhouses, we can get, you know, a little bit cheaper than flying it by freight, right? So stuff that is in season is still coming from growers and farmers, the people that put a lot of hours, a lot of labor into making these flowers come up to the right level where they're cut packed and then they come to us this could be from holland or from it could be holland it could be africa it could be england it could be florida it could be south america it could be new jersey right? mm -hmm. so you have stuff that's available now all over the world peonies in new zealand used to be like oh my god why do we have peonies now now it's like oh can i get peonies and you know there's like only like a four-month window where you can't get peonies now it seems like but the reason they're so much cheaper at like a a grocery store or outside is because those people are buying containers of send me whatever, 
It's whatever's not sold. It's, whatever, <laughs> it's, it's just to fill the container. They may know they do the same kind of things and they send it and they may get great stuff. Like you may walk by, I walk outside to see Fairway. I live across the street from Fairway yeah. supermarket. And it's like, oh, look at that. That hydrangea costs a little bit less than I just paid for it. You know? But <laughs> if I order something and I know I need it, which yeah. is really what I need for that, mm. you know, then it becomes at the auction, they ha- I have to have it. Like, I can't wait and just say, oh, I'll take that. It looks pretty. Oh, stop right there. Auction. Yes. What, so what the does auction. that mean? So years ago, um, Johnny K from Associated Cut Flowers, who's no longer with us, but is, was a wonderful guy, right. fun and crazy and wild, um, took a bunch of us to see, um, you know, what, what goes on in Holland. And it used to actually be like a clock. And as the clock went... If it wasn't sold, it went cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. But, you know, the people that were buying first, like we never even got, like, you know, Russia, they were buying the tulips that were three feet tall and their heads were this big and, you know, (laughs) dollars a stem. So this is an international. It's an international thing. Then Japan would buy, you know, and then when by the time it got like the product that got, you know, for America, still beautiful, Mm -hmm. um, but your mind would be blown by some of the stuff that actually doesn't make it over here and the prices that, that do get, you know, flowers, um, you know, in the black market or flowers in parts of Japan that, you know, they, they respected flowers so much. I mean, they would pay lots and lots. I mean, it's oh, just, really? So, oh, so now yeah, the Japanese, cultural thing. Japanese flower market is unbelievable. Like they have the patience to grow a sweet pea plant that was like, this tall compared to like, you know, the ones that were in three years, like more like Italian or uh, Dutch ones. Well, Still you got to remember, this is an audio podcast. You got to. Oh, yeah. Right. right. I'm sure. Like inches or like, feet yeah. or something. Um, yeah. Like the first time I actually saw a uh, Japanese sweet pea, the, a product that was sort of relatively new. And um, my friend Gary, Gary Page, a wholesaler said, you got to come to the uh, Japan society and see this presentation. And it's something I hardly buy a lot of, but gloriosa lilies. I was always seeing them four inches long cut in a plastic bag, like three stems. They were very special and kind of tropical looking and mm-hmm. uh, they weren't really my style, but I remember the Japanese growers were making them. They were holding back the plants for like 18 years. I don't know how they did it, but they didn't cut them. They groom them, they trim, they, they this that to be able to, it's like grafting trees. You see these, they grow, you can get trees to grow and bend at the smallest curve and make them like bonsais, you know. To I was make them just going to say, it sounds like, like you know, some bonsais, bonsai. but even bigger, like grafts that you'll see vines that are, I mean, it, there's things that can be done with the patience of time and growing that, so they would have like a 36 inch versus a three inch tall glorious lily, but it would oh took my 20 God get there and now they're producing these plants and they're banging them out and that you know people are like what are these oh my god and you know the sweet pea went from like i'd say 12 inches to 17 inches or 18 inches and five days lifespan to 22 days lifespan you know and very specialized they don't do a ton of well now they're doing more like ranunculas and some roses and i don't even know what they do but it's 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 just fit but there's what you're saying was great because what you're saying is that there's there is genuine art Oh, there's art. I mean, it goes to my daughter actually works for a, a company in Holland. It's a fourth generation tulip farmer who married a, a woman and they do a skincare product from the stem cells of the tulip bulb. Wow. The bloom effects, one word. And it's just incredible. 
they show fields and fields and they just literally cut the heads and the, and the bulb. I mean, they use, you know, all to make this stuff, but it's an art that's beyond to growing specific kinds of tulips. They now are growing black tulips. Then once the, they leave Holland, there's a whole fascinating process. It goes to this auction house and this thing in Alzheimer called, it's the hub of how many trucks go all over the world and then how many go to FedEx and come here. And it just, Every day, it's like a spider web of amazing live product that leaves this one place and goes. In Holland. Yes. And so flowers come, you know, we get them by air. Again, not if they're, quote, local, like from New Jersey or when we're buying lilac, that would be local. But in New York, everything is coming from somewhere, right? It's pretty rare that it's coming up out of like a fire escape and we're using it in the centerpiece. But yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's fun to see the seasonal stuff. It's it's hard almost to see stuff that's around all the time because, you know, the different things get you more excited. Like, oh, it's ranuncula season, you know. You bring them into your shop or you mm-hmm. bring them into your warehouse or... We have a studio in Hell's Kitchen on the corner of 52nd Street and 11th Avenue that we meet people in and we do part of our work, our constructing events there. And we also have a warehouse in New Jersey where we store things and do some work. So if you're showing them certain flowers, they'll say, I love this. And you say, well, okay, this is great, but it's not going to be in season when you're having your party in September. I could get it for you, but it's going to cost X. Is that the way it's justified? Is, is no, that the way? it's usually an interesting balance of in the centerpiece. If you want it, um, unless it's like, I want all lily of the valley. That's like the one thing if, you know, it's a specialty flower that has like a two week actual season and, and it's going to be. Oh, long. literally. Literally. It's only about two weeks that it's popping up locally. And the rest of the time it's either from overseas in a greenhouse or nobody's growing it anywhere. And, you know, it's hard to get. So it's very, okay. expensive. but usually the overall look of something, we have to give them an estimate in order for them to hire us. So we say, your wedding is in June. These are the things that are in season. This is the look you like, right? And then they might fall in love with, I love this picture. Okay, well, yes, you can get this, this, and this, but this won't be available, but we can substitute it with this and it's in similar shape and vibe and color and texture. Right. But even if it was expensive or not, we can't get it. You know, like cherry blossom can only be X amount of time unless you use fake silk flowers, which we don't really do. That being said, if they say, I want all, like the whole centerpiece to be Japanese ranunculus, they're so beautiful. Well, okay, well then that price will change because <laughs> it's a very specific flower and- A lot of it. And a lot of it, and this will, this will reflect the price. But it's usually an overall feeling that people are going for, unless it's a bouquet, that's a different thing. But yeah. for the room, it's really like, is, are the major players this kind of texture, this kind of color, this kind of volume, this kind of could be this kind of edgy modern feeling like a, a orange pencil tulips, like all lined up in something, you know, on mass. Like if those aren't in season, would, would it be okay to have orange ranunculus or could it be 
orange baby roses. You know what I mean? Like if it's oh, not- So you can both, almost like show them like- I can the- show them. I can show them photos. I can check with the growers and they check with the farms. And if mm-hmm. and, the, and I'd say, these are your options. If it's very, very specific like that. Like yeah. if we're doing very, something at Museum of Modern Art and it's based on Miro. Okay, yeah. Right, of course. But if it's a wedding and- you know, this is the feeling. These are the dresses. They're in shades of pink and nudes. And this is the wallpaper. And these are the linens. And so these are our choices. Things like tulips and roses and hydrangeas. A lot of them are grown almost everywhere all the time. And then there's things that come in and out, like lilac has a shorter lifespan and dahlias have a shorter lifespan, peonies, you know. So, and it's fun to be able to show them like, oh, I know you think you love peonies, but have you seen these? Because these are, you know, <laughs> these are even better, you know, like, or have you seen these garden roses? You think you love ranunculus, but like these, they're incredible too, you know? So right, you, okay. there's an educational process and then there's a reality check moment where it's like, okay, so if it's, you know, this kind of volume and this kind of product, this is what it's going to cost. And then they'll say, oh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, everybody wants a feeling that they've made a, a lasting impression on people. I think that cuts to the heart of what we all do. Everybody wants to make a lasting impression on people. So stay tuned for part two, which is incredibly funny because Jen has absolutely perfected something that I've been trying to say about loading docks in New York hotels for years. Until then, remember, stay safe, stay strong, keep wearing masks. This pandemic is not over yet. And I'll see you in a couple of days. Bye-bye now.